0: calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. Applications for Tellus Story Hive are now open until February 28, 2023. Story Hive is celebrating their 10th anniversary with the Story Hive Anniversary Documentary Edition and is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you are passionate about. You could receive $20,000 in production funding, training, and mentorship with distribution on TELUS Optic TV and Stream Plus. To learn more and apply, head to storyhive.com or head to the link in today's show notes. Hi. I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll meet Jenna Brown. Jenna earned her Bachelor's in Biology and Soil Science from the University of Wyoming. After college, she saw herself working in the energy industry and living the big city life with all of her friends enjoying fancy bars and the Colorado Avalanche hockey games. However, that all changed in 2020 when she lost her job in the energy industry and moved to a small town in the middle of nowhere in Montana with her two fur babies to pursue a career in agriculture. Not growing up in agriculture, Jenna has completely immersed herself in the world of crop science and soil health. And I have to tell you, this story is really, really inspirational. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And I'm so proud of Jenna for sharing this because I have to be honest with you, and this is some behind the scenes. Jenna didn't want to talk to me or she thought she didn't want to talk to me. (laughs) You'll find out more why later. Jenna is another one of the wonderful women that I got to meet at the Strong Her Together Conference in Fort Benton, Montana. I have to say, the women of Central Montana... You knocked it out of the park and I had such a great time at your conference. And if you're listening to this and would like me to join you at your conference, my booking calendar for 2023 is open. So you can send a request through our website. There is a speaker form there, or you can shoot me an email at hello at wildrosefarmer.com. And let's see how we can get the Rural Woman podcast involved in your upcoming conference. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Jenna. Jenna, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you? I am doing good. I'm excited to be here. I am excited for you to be here, and I'm excited to get to chat with you again. And it's always my favorite, and I say this all the time, it's always my favorite when I get to meet people in real life and convince them to have a podcast interview with me. So I <laughs> was not expecting you to say that to me.
1: <laughs> you asked me to be on your podcast. I w- That was the last thing I would have thought you would have said. But
0: here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And now all of these wonderful people get to learn more about how wonderful you are. So for those who are unfamiliar with you, Jenna, tell us who you are. Where you're from and how you got your start in agriculture.
1: Well, like you said, I am Jenna Brown. I am originally from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Was born and raised there, and I went to school down in Colorado at Colorado Mesa University for my first two years. Decided that I missed Wyoming too much, and so wanted to go back to Wyoming. And ultimately graduated with a degree in biology from the University of Wyoming. And so when I was you know, in college and just growing up, all I saw from, you know, being in Wyoming was the energy industry. And that's what I thought I was going to go into. I was not raised in agriculture. I was raised in the quote unquote, big city of Cheyenne. (laughs) It's the biggest city in Wyoming, most populated city in Wyoming. And so I was not raised in agriculture, like I said, but I had tons of friends who were in agriculture and plenty of family who was in agriculture. But My mom worked in the energy industry, and my brother works in the energy industry. And so that's what going to college, I thought, was going to be my life too. So I got my degree in biology, and then I also got a minor in soil science and land reclamation. So my thought was I was going to go into the energy industry. And once they were done either mining or you know drilling for oil on the land in Wyoming, because that's a the biggest part of Wyoming's economy is the energy industry. I thought my job was going to be to put the land back to the way it was before, back to the natural grasses and rangeland and natural habitat that it was before. And that was my plan. And that worked out for two years after college. (laughs) So not very long. And I had no idea that I was going to be in agriculture, but But I am now, and I feel like I'm at times drinking out of a fire hose, but it's been great.
0: That is a visual that I'm sure (laughs) many have just had and thought, yeah, I, I can understand that. I can relate to that. So you grew up, you know, like you said, outside of agriculture, but I found it really interesting when I was reading your bio that, you know, you had this degree in biology and the soil science part. And I'm thinking like, what a turn of events for you (laughs) from, you know, envisioning yourself in the energy field to being in a farmer's field. So where did your love of, of science come from? You obviously went to school for science. I myself, not a science gal. So uh where where do you think what was it about the science field that was really interesting to you
1: well i i guess my journey into science is based off of you know four different changes in what i wanted to have my major in in college which sounds like a lot but it's also you know it's it's hard for an 18 year old to be like this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life you know that's an 18 year old in my mind is as a child. And for them to decide what they're going to do for the rest of their life seems insane. And so I changed my major four times. Well, I guess technically three times. I started out in athletic training. I wanted to be an athletic trainer. That's what I... I was, I guess, an intern athletic trainer at my high school. And that's what I... you know, My dream was to be an athletic trainer for a professional sports team. And I went to school down in Colorado to be an athletic trainer. Decided I didn't want to do that switched to kinesiology thinking I maybe wanted to be a dietitian, didn't want to do that. And then I switched to education uh, when I went to, when I transferred back to Wyoming. Wyoming has a great education program. And so I was thinking that I would be a, you know, junior high, which sounds crazy, junior high biology teacher because I do love science. And just from all the science classes that I've ever taken in high school and college, it just fascinates me. And I think that my mind works a lot better around science because it just seems to be there's a lot of theories in science, but they have their reasonings behind those theories. And there is plenty of factual evidence in science. And I like, you know, factual evidence. I think that is a very typical thing of millennials is we want to know why and how. And so my brain just really liked that about science is the why and how things work. And then I when I was an education major, studying biology also, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher for the rest of my life. And so I dropped the whole teacher aspect of my major and just focused on biology. And then I was like, well, where am I going to go with this degree? And I knew that energy was, you know the best option for me in Wyoming and one of the most feasible options for me. And so I ended up picking up land reclamation as a minor and I had to take a soil science class. And um, my professor Karen Vaughn, She is a freak about soil science, which is awesome. And it's, she's just so passionate about it that it made me excited about soil. So that first day of my intro to soil science class, she just got me hooked just from her passion on the subject. And so I think, you know, that's what drew me into soil science. And again, I still didn't think I was going to go into agriculture with that. Right.
0: (laughs) I uh, I love what you said about, you know, being 18 years old and having to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. As a person who was formerly employed in post-secondary education, I can also tell you the amount of times I saw people change their major was about as much as they changed the oil in their car. So you are not alone in that. And uh, very, <laughs> very deep thoughts on uh what you need to be doing for the rest of your life, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember in college, I was talking to my mom about it and I was stressed out and she was like, Jenna, I'm in my fifties and I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I'm like, Oh,
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> for, for the people listening to this who had it figured out, uh, at the age of 18, we need to know what was in your Kool-Aid because it was Congrats. not the same as mine. So <laughs> So Jenna, you worked in energy for a couple of years uh, and then there was a wrench thrown in it for you. So tell us how you went from energy in Wyoming to where you are today and what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So I worked for a mining company. They did mainly gravel mining in Gillette, Wyoming, which is a town in Northeast Wyoming. And that, that town Gillette is a major coal mining town and so there is a lot of energy is a huge presence there they they you know have dubbed themselves the energy capital of the nation or something like that. So I was working in Gillette with this, with this mining company. I started in oh 2019 I believe. Started working at this company in 2019. I was their environmental representative. And so basically what I did was I Wrote all the permits for gravel mining, and so we had to have you know water and air and um, land permits to be able to to gra- to mine the gravel, and so that was kind of what I did. And then 2020 hit, and we all experienced the global pandemic of COVID 19, and the you know the markets crashed. Barrels of oil went to like negative 30 cents. And so the energy industry was crashing. And so they laid people off. And I was one of the people that got laid off. And unfortunately, it was just really crappy timing because about six months prior to that, I bought a house. And the day that I lost my job, my mom was driving my brand new car up to Gillette. And so, you know, I had mortgage payments and I had a car payment and I just lost my job. And so, As you could imagine, that was that was absolutely terrifying because I, you know, I didn't know how I was going to sustain myself and my two animals that I had. You know, my dog and my cat. I was like, "Well, I have to feed them. I have to provide a life for them. I have to provide a life for me. I have to feed myself." And so I ended up collecting unemployment. Which very thankful for unemployment in that case. And that was tough because you know everyone was. All upset about how people were collecting unemployment at a ridiculous rate while they had to still work, and people on unemployment were making more money than them and had a vacation. Well, it was not a vacation for me. You know, it sucked because I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay my bills. So I was looking for jobs in Wyoming, Colorado, and Montana. And then every once in a while, I'd throw in like Phoenix or somewhere in Maine just for. Just for anything, um, and with unemployment, you have to apply to two jobs every single week. And I wasn't just doing, you know, applying to McDonald's just to like check that off my list. I was applying to actual jobs that I really wanted, and that were going to be good for me. And and I went on to USAJobs.gov and just looked up the keyword "soil" because I knew I wanted to do a job in soil. And I was applying to All sorts of positions in the energy industry, mainly because I didn't really know much about agriculture. And so I saw this job called Soil Conservationist. And I applied for it, and it gave me, it told me to pick three towns in Montana that I wanted to live. And the majority of them I had never heard of. You know, Helena was on the list, Billings was on the list. So, of course, I picked those because. I know Helena. <laughs> I know Billings. But you know, Plentywood was on the list. I had no idea what Plentywood was, where it was, how big it was. I had never heard of that town. Fort Benton was on the list. I had never heard of that town. So I was literally Googling all these towns in Montana until I, you know, made my final decision and I just picked towns that I didn't even know about. And thankfully I got a call and I got an interview and It was just so funny because I had no idea what this job was going to entail. I knew that it was an agriculture job, but I thought that with my experience in soil science and land reclamation that I could maybe push my way through this agriculture interview. And looking back on my interview now, my answers were awful. I mean, they would ask things like, what is your experience in dry land farming? And I'm like, I don't even know what dry land means. I, like, I was thinking like rangeland and come to find out it's just farming with no irrigation added, you know, with no water added. And so it's just funny looking back on my interview questions. I had no idea what I was even saying, <laughs> but somehow they liked my answers enough to hire me and I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't be happier. I I have a great job with, with the federal government and And I get to work with some really, really awesome people with my coworkers and the farmers and the producers.
0: Jenna, that, you know, when I said there was a wrench thrown into your plans, like that's the biggest wrench. Like it's like a big tractor wrench that was thrown into your plans because, you know, I think once you graduate and once you get that job, you are on the path of what you intended to do. And You know, you are not alone in the COVID layoffs of 2020 and not knowing what was happening. And, you know, you obviously made the best of the situation and you applied yourself to figure out what the heck was going to happen next. And it's so scary to go through those big life changes, regardless of how old you are. Or if you've just got a brand new car, or if you have an animal to feed or a child to feed or whatever it is, like those are big, scary things. And for you to be so courageous to be applying for things that, you know, not only are out of your physical zone, but out of your comfort zone. Kudos to you for doing that, because that (laughs) takes a lot of gumption and bravery to do that. So Tell us more about your new position and all of the fun work that you get to do with the farmers in Montana.
1: I am, like I said, I'm a soil conservationist, the big title that I had no idea what it even meant when I applied for it. But no, so I'm a soil conservationist and I get to work really closely with the farmers and the ranchers in our area, mainly farmers. Where I'm at in Fort Benton, we live in the Golden Triangle and the Golden Triangle is I believe it's the highest wheat producing area in the nation. I think it's just the nation, but we have a lot of wheat farmers here. And so I mainly work with farmers over ranchers, but we just get to work on them. Uh, we get to work with them on their day-to-day operations and just trying to incentivize them to do better farming practices than maybe what their grandfather says is correct, Um that's not always correct, you know, the NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, who I work for, we started because of the Dust Bowl. And Hugh Hammond Bennett, the father of the NRCS, he wanted to create an agency that would help farmers improve their soil rather than degrade their soil and cause another dust bowl And so that's kind of what my position does is we were basically trying to prevent another dust Bowl and and it's it sounds easy but it's not super easy because there is a lot of producers that are not quote unquote progressive in their farming techniques but i try and try and try again to convince them otherwise and so we have our soil health principles that we try to educate producers on you know we hold seminars and we hold workshops Tomorrow we have a meeting with producers that we get to just sit down and talk to them. And so it's really cool because I get to work with a ton of producers in my county, just helping them try to improve their soil and try to improve their farming and make their farming more efficient and more productive. So that's really cool. And uh, currently I'm working on a really fun project that is not necessarily for farming, but You know, with the Natural Resources Conservation Service, we focus on our natural resources. And soil is one of those natural resources, but also water and plants are natural resources as well. And so, one project that I'm working on is providing ranchers with water so that their cows don't disturb riparian areas. So, the vegetation around creeks and streams in order to improve the habitat for different grouse species. And so that's a really fun project that I've been, been able to work on up in the mountains here. And so it's, this job is really cool because you do get to have the freedom of creating these projects from scratch and then implementing them and seeing, seeing how they can change the landscape and better a person's operation.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and you had mentioned that, you know, the people that you get to work with in your industry, whether that's your your colleagues or the farmers themselves. I have to tell you, working in agriculture has been such a privilege because of the people. And whether that's you know other producers that I've got to work with or just other people in the industry, it's very hard to explain to somebody who hasn't worked in agriculture what I think our greatest resource in agriculture is. And I think it's the people. But to caveat that, I think that people have so much passion and love for what they do and they really hold on to that legacy and they hold on to, well, I do this because this is what my grandpa did and his grandpa did before him. So implementing or trying to suggest other practices, I assume can be very challenging and specifically, uh, I'm just going to say it as a woman, and probably as somebody who didn't grow up in agriculture, to be going on to these operations and giving your two cents and the knowledge that you have in soil science to somebody who perhaps doesn't think progressively in the sense of soil science. So... Calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta! Applications for Telus Story Hive are now open. In case you haven't heard of Story Hive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. This year, they are celebrating their 10th anniversary with their biggest edition yet. The StoryHive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you are passionate about. You could get $20,000 in production funding, training and mentorship and distribution on TELUS Optic TV and Stream Plus. If you live in BC or Alberta and have an idea for a short documentary, now is the time to send in your pitch. Send in your application by February 28th, 2023 at storyhive.com slash apply. Your story, your narrative. Tell me about, you know, going on to these operations and let's, let's have you tell me about the success stories of going to these places and these people slowly implementing these things, what changes have you seen as a soil conservationist for your farmers in their soil?
1: That's a tough question because I've only been on this job for a little over two years. And so I feel like I'm just finally kind of getting my, my feet dipped in the water a little bit. I do get to talk to producers every single day And I do have a handful of producers that I mainly work with, you know, just like my coworkers have their handfuls of producers that they work with. And I more so have heard raised with previous conservationists or previous soil conservationists prior to me starting those projects. You know, but I can think of one particular couple that just got done with one of our programs. And they, I don't know if they had ever done cover crops prior to being in this program. But they had cover crops as a practice scheduled on their on their contract that we had with them. And so they planted this cover crop. And it just like the the plants just blew up and they said it was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. And they just loved it. And it really helped their soil with their soil compaction. And they just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And they couldn't wait to plant another cover crop. And then we got hit by a drought, and it didn't work as well, you know. So that was a really cool success story that I got to talk to talk with one of my producers, you know. And we're not trying to say that cover crops are going to fix your soil overnight, but it is a tool in our toolbox that we can use. And I think that's one thing that I, you know, with this couple, they said that they planted the cover crop again during the drought, and it didn't work as well. Well, sometimes our tools aren't always going to work, and so that's something that. I've been able to chat with them about and just to you know tell them to keep going and keep trying with it and our soil health specialist Marnie Thompson in the state she you know talks about how someone has to hear something 30 times before they actually believe it before it like registers in their mind that it might work. And so that's a challenge in itself during the summer we have plenty of you know soil health seminars or workshops that we reiterate the same thing every single time and hope that one of the producers there is gonna like on their 30th time that they hear it they're like it's just the light bulb goes off you know and that's that's one of the funnest things to to see and just talking to producers who who do have their success stories that's been super rewarding for my job and my position and I hope that you know with this project that I have particularly that I can start to see a change in producers. And of course our hope is always, you know, if the producer starts to see change and their neighbor sees that change on their land. Then the neighbor might be like, Oh, what are you doing? And you know, the producer is like, Oh, I'm doing this, this, and this, and it's worked out really well. And that's all we can hope for. So
0: absolutely. Right. And, you know, being newer myself into agriculture, I only know so much about so many things, but I think the power of curiosity in agriculture is how we've kept going and basically wanting to know what's working for the neighbor and being curious enough to go ask, hey, what are you doing over here? If it looks good or if it looks bad, they still come over and say, hey, what are you doing? So they know not to ever do that too. So (laughs) yeah,
1: well, and sometimes the neighbor is the best person to use for comparison you know, I I can think of one producer out not in my county, but he does winter grazing, so he does a pretty progressive form of form of grazing, and it's just really cool to see what he's doing. I mean, he moves the cows multiple times in a day during the winter, and he calves in the summer, and just to see how his grass has has done so well with that. And when everyone was de-stocking during the drought, he increased the amount of cows that he had, and And the fence line was, you know, I have a photo of the fence line and it is insane how big of a difference it makes. Yeah. And so sometimes the, the neighbor is the best comparison that we can have and getting that neighbor over to the fence line. You know, sometimes we can be like, stand on this fence line and tell me what you see. And so, but it's also, you know, of course, a challenge because you don't want to offend anyone. Of course not. No. And, and, and that's, And I'm not out here to try to offend someone. I'm not out here to be like, you're farming incorrectly. Because who am I to say? (laughs) I did not grow up in, in agriculture. and
0: Even for the people that did, like it's so different and it can be different from fence line to fence line. You don't know what's happening in your soil from fence line to fence line. And your neighbor could be doing something that's working for them and it doesn't work for you. And I think that's kind of the the overall theme that i've picked up in my in my few short years of doing this like you can't judge anybody for how they're growing their grass because it is completely different from property to property and i myself like have never i've never wanted to close off the conversation because of the way that somebody farms you might not farm the same way that we do and you know what that's completely fine because that works for you as long as you are doing the best for your family and your land that's all i think people can ask for from the agricultural community and i always think when you know better you do better and if you're curious enough to listen to somebody to see what they're doing and you know maybe adopt that practice for you at some point then That's the best that you could hope for. So I'm thinking now, you know, if let's say somebody's listening to this and it's like their 28th or 29th time hearing that soil health is sexy. What are some basic things that producers can just start with when it comes to learning about soil health?
1: Well, so with the NRCS, we have our five soil health principles that I mean like you're saying every every operation is different but we have our five soil health principles that you know if you follow these principles it's going to work no matter where you're at and so it's keeping your soil covered so having that armor on your soil cuz that helps just keep your your soil from not blowing away first and foremost that helps hold in moisture in your soil and that helps the microbiology in your soil cuz that microbiology that's something for them to feed on and to decompose and that puts nutrients in your soil. So keeping your soil covered. So the next soil health principle that we talk about is minimizing soil disturbance. And a lot of people use tillage equipment, and that's a huge disturbance to the soil because that, you know, tears up the ground and that disturbs that microbiology and, and it tears up the soil structure that you have, that that microbiology is working so hard to, to create. And so, if we can minimize the soil disturbance, you know, that's, that's going to help with your farming practices, increasing crop diversity. You know, like I said, we're in the, I live in the golden triangle and a lot of people for a very long time only planted wheat and we only provide so much, so many nutrients to the soil. And it's only so much root on a wheat plant, on an annual plant. And so, integrating more Crop diversity means that you're putting in more nutrients to feed that microbiology to help that soil structure. And then also we say to keep a living root in the soil, because that just helps again with your soil structure. It, it cycles nutrients through the soil. And then also integrating livestock that can, again, help put nutrients in the soil. It can help drive seeds into the ground to help plant them. And then grazing can also just benefit the productivity of plants. And so These five soil health principles, you know, we push this everywhere in the United States because it works everywhere, no matter what precipitation zone you're in, no matter what elevation you're at. These are supposed to be principles that, you know, anyone can integrate into their operation, no matter how different of an operation you have. And so that's usually what
0: we say for people to start out
1: just kind of researching and getting to know those five soil health principles.
0: Right. And like you said, they're universal. And, you know, all five might not work for you on your operation, but some might, and those might lead you to some other practices. So those are great. And hopefully this is their 30th time hearing I uh, hope so. <laughs> of how soil health is sexy. So yes, I want to move in to our rapid fire segment now with you are you ready i'm ready okay you don't have to answer them super fast i uh i don't know what rapid fire actually means but <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do it Today's Rapid Fire segment is brought to you by our friends at FCC. FCC is committed to empowering women in agriculture, agribusiness, and food. Through financing and providing access to resources, they're working towards creating a diverse, open, and forward-thinking agriculture and food industry for everyone. Learn more at FCC.ca or by heading to the link in today's show notes. So... True or false? I'm going to start out with a trivia question for this. True or false? One tablespoon of soil has more organisms in it than people on earth. That is true. That is what Google said. Yes, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's crazy. And so, and I mean, those microbes in the soil is what, you know, how we cycle our nutrients and, you know, and what makes the soil structure. And so without the, that microbiology in the soil, our our soil is dead. And, you know, a lot of people call soil dirt, but we, we say the difference between dirt and soil is dirt is not living. And soil is living, and it has those living organisms in it. And it's crazy to think that in such a small amount of productive soil, I should say, has that many microbes in it. Yeah,
0: there you go. Thanks, Google and Jenna. for. <laughs> for that (laughs) all right what is your favorite tool in your tool belt when it comes to soil health
1: one of my favorite tools that i get to use is the montana sharpshooter not only because i live in montana but because it is you know it's this long spade of a of a shovel i guess you can say but it's it's nice and heavy so you can really jam it into the ground and it's long, and so you can get a good profile view of the tool or of the soil. And that tool, you know, it, it, I think that anyone should, you know, if you're a farmer, you should look at your soil, look and see what your soil looks like. Look at the colors, look at the horizons, the different layers of the soil, look at the structure. And with a Montana sharpshooter, that's a really easy way to just drive it into the ground and pull up a quick piece of soil. And just look at that profile. And so we use that almost every day. Not Well, that's not true. We use
0: it a lot. When the soil is not frozen. Uh, yes, when the, the soil
1: of- is not frozen. <laughs> I, I should say we use it every day when we're out in
0: the field. You know, if I go
1: out with a producer, you know, we let's dig a hole. Let's look at your soil. And I pull out my trusty Montana
0: sharpshooter. There you go. Not sponsored. Uh. Not, no. Nope. <laughs> But you're welcome, whoever creates them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The (laughs) new uh, cover model of the Montana That's That's right. Okay, my last question. What makes soil sexy to you? What is sexy soil to you?
1: I think what makes soil sexy is how diverse it is. You know, you can have different soil where you're standing and then 20 yards away from you. It can be drastically different. And just the education that you can get from soil, I think is, is incredible. You know, I would love to see soil be a, what do they call it? A a dinner table topic, you know, that every family talks about on a regular basis. I think, I think soil is such an important thing in our lives. I mean, it literally, the first day of my intro to soil science class, Dr. Vaughn asked, what did you do today that involved soil? And so every single time, I talk to people about about soil if I, you know, I'm doing an educational outreach thing. That's my first question is, what did you do today that involved soil just to get people to think about how involved we are with soil? And I mean soil, <laughs> if it wasn't for soil we wouldn't be alive. And so I think I think soil is very sexy because it's it's just an awesome educational opportunity to learn about you know, where we came from and the food that we eat and the clothes that are on our back and the water that is in our cups and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Good answer. You did great. (laughs) (laughs) I passed. You passed the rapid fire segment with flying colors. So kudos (laughs) to you. Thank you for that. Jenna, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you?
1: I think the most rewarding part is just being a part of this community. You know, I think it can be tough as a female, just like it was tough being a female in the energy industry. You know, this is a very male-dominated industry. And so one of the most rewarding parts for me is just just the community that I've built and the educational opportunities that I have. Is It's, it's been really awesome. And the people that I've been able to meet and interact with, and I've learned a lot from them just like I hope that they can eventually learn a lot from me.
0: Well, I know for a fact that I've learned a lot from you and uh, getting to be able to meet you at the Stronger Together uh, conference down in Fort Benton uh, was a great treat. And uh, I, I loved your story from when you started telling me. And I want to share something with you now that I didn't prepare you for, but um, <laughs> I think it's important to say you had shared with me that i i like i said i had asked you to be on the podcast and that was kind of a like what? You want to talk to me? Why do you want to yeah. talk to me? And i think it took a little while for the response to come from you but when it did i was happy to see it come through and i think there could have been some imposter syndrome there for you if i'm if i'm going to guess saying well why would you talk to me i'm just a little soil health lady from Fort Benton Montana and you've talked to people like nicole masters before and all of the things but you know the value that i find in your story is incredible jenna you have gone from not being in this agricultural industry to taking a risk and taking a chance to learn something new and using the education and the love that you have for soil and putting it into what I say is the best use and helping farmers. And uh, no matter how insignificant that can feel some days, it's huge. And so I just want to say thank you for agreeing to come (laughs) on here today and sharing your story. And uh, no matter how small we can feel our stories are, they do make a huge impact. So I just want to thank you for that.
1: Oh, well, that was really nice of you. Thank you.
0: For the listeners who would like to connect with you, Jenna, after the show, where can they find you online? So
1: I would say to find me is on Instagram. I don't post a whole lot, but my handle on Instagram is my full name, Jenna Marie Brown, with underscores in between. So Jenna underscore Marie underscore brown.
0: Perfect. And I will link that in the show notes. And I'm going to link some resources that you talked about as well today for other people who want to find soil health sexy. So awesome. Thanks again for coming on Jenna today. I really, truly appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at the Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.